The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Exactly. It is the Employment Law Show. John Scholes here along with uh, Andrew Goldberg, Senior Associate St. Fury to Market LLP. you got lots of time to join the show. would love to have you on. In the meantime, here's how you uh, get a hold of Andrew anytime, of course, with St. Fury to Market LLP, the most positively reviewed employment law firm as well. Pocket Employment Lawyer. There's a website for you. It's all about employment law. It's been crafted just for you years ago, and it's free, and it's anonymous. On the show today, Andrew, good to have you back, brother. Week at a glance, week that was. Uh, what do you got for us? Hey, John. Well, I wanted to talk about a situation. It's There, there are two situations, but they're very uh, heavily interconnected, involving um, an individual, uh, and for our listeners out there, it, it, this might sound like you, but either an individual that's been on a layoff and has recently been recalled to work or has uh, was on a layoff in the past, maybe not on a layoff in the past, but agreed to temporary changes to the terms of their employment. So there are many people throughout the pandemic that agreed to a temporary pay decrease or reduced hours or job sharing, uh, kind of different uh, circumstances you know, lesser circumstances than what they were used to in an effort to, I guess, you know, help share the burden of the pandemic if a business was impacted. And there's a lot of people who are off now being recalled and being asked to return to work to, you know, reduced schedule, reduced pay, things of that nature. And the things I just wanted to mention very briefly are, you know, if you're an individual that did agree to differing terms of your employment, um, Hopefully you did so on a temporary basis. So it's very important that if you agree to a temporary pay cut or a layoff or temporary temporary reduced hours, that you're communicating in writing that, you know, the expectation is that this is only going to be temporary and to provide your employer with a date that you expect it to revert back to normal or at least for, you know, you and the employer to have a discussion about what will happen from there. And if you're on a temporary layoff and you're being asked to return to work under lesser terms, you don't have an obligation to do so. Um, so, you know, in situation A, really people just need to protect themselves. They need to make sure they're writing their employer because at this time, there's people out there that have agreed to temporary reduction in hours or pay, and it's been a year now. And you know, that length of time is concerning because the employer can always argue, look, you've now accepted this permanently. We now permanently pay you 20% less than what we used to pay you before. So it's extremely, extremely important that employees are putting in writing that they expect it to revert normal and they only agree to this for the purpose of the pandemic. And B, if you are on a layoff being recalled to work and the terms of your employment are not the same, you don't have an obligation necessarily to return to a lesser uh, form of employment. So both of these situations are arising all the time, and uh, it's just uh, something that the listener should be aware of to protect their rights. You want to call in, you know that number as well, and feel free to uh, to give us a call. Drop us an email here during the show, and uh, Andrew will try to get to it on the topic list today. If you're an employee, you should never dot, 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 and then dealing with criticism, discipline, and bad performance reviews. Well, I think the, the last quick point is obviously super prevalent issue is, is about um, vaccines in the workplace, right? This is something we're hearing about more than anything at this point. 
And, you know, there are many people out there, regardless of what you might be hearing about how you must get a vaccine to work, uh, where employers are insisting that you do so, um, you do still have rights. And there are many, many, many situations where you don't have to necessarily get a vaccine to work. And if you refuse to take the vaccine and you're fired or put on a layoff for your refusal to do so, you still have severance entitlements and often human rights uh, entitlements in those situations. So, um, you know, the messages out there are conflicting at times because it's, you know, it's a moving target. Everything with the pandemic is really a moving target as the severity of the pandemic changes and, you know, the impact on society and, and the hospital system and employment uh, settings, it's all changing all the time. But as it stands right now, as an employee, nothing's taken away your rights um, if you refuse to take the vaccine and are fired or put on a layoff as a result. Or, for example, if you're on a layoff right now and are told, hey, you can come back to work, but only if you get the vaccine. So I just wanted to kind of make that clear. Uh, if, if you are concerned about that, many people are Dozens of people have called me on this topic. You know, definitely give our firm a call to let us know what's happening and we can walk you through it. Yeah, it's an interesting point because it's one thing when you say something on air or you hear something on the street, but when the government comes out and says you need to get vaccinated or you'll be let go, I mean, people might forget momentarily until they hear you that, uh, you know, I still have severance entitlements regardless whether I've been let go or not. That hasn't changed. So I think that's a really important point that could potentially, I mean, say the vast majority of people are have been vaccinated but for those who haven't and might lose their job it could still be thousands of people that are that are in the dark not knowing that they still have severance entitlements right 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 absolutely I, just to be clear if the government did mandate it um that could be like you know the limited situation where an employer would be justified in doing what they're doing because they might have legitimately no choice right but you know policy government Policies right now affect, you know, less employees than more. There's a lot of employees that aren't impacted by uh, these uh, government regulations. And also these government regulations have been misinterpreted. They are forcing employers in some circumstances to have mandatory policies, but not necessarily to have mandatory vaccines. Some do allow, for example, uh, mandatory testing as an alternative. So it really is a lot of information and there's a lot going on. Um, so for a lot of the listeners out there, you, you definitely do maintain your rights. If you're concerned about, you know, if that applies to you, uh, just give us a call and we can kind of walk you through it. Again, reaching Andrew at the firm anytime, member of his team, one 821 5900 would be the way, help at employmentlawyer.ca. Let's get on to our, our topic, brother, and as we get to uh, still a few minutes here before we take a, take a break. If you're an employee, you should never. Let's get to some of these. First one, and this uh, this happens quite often, maybe that's why you put it at the top of the list, and that is you should never make assumptions about your employment rights across the board. Yeah, it, this, this one's a no-brainer. Uh, you know, people do this all the time, and, and they say, well, I assumed X is Y and Y is Z because logic dictates, you know, whatever they're coming to me with, right? But, you know, it's it's a complicated legal environment and not everything is black and white and there are implications uh, to things that you may or may not be doing and you might have no idea that that's the case. And again, when, when we say don't make assumptions about your employment rights, that's not really that difficult of a thing to accomplish. Don't just, you know, if you have an idea and you think something's a certain way, just 
get confirmation, right? Get that confirmation, speak to an employment lawyer, and they'll give you that peace of mind to let you know, okay, these are your rights, or, you know, you're actually incorrect about, you know, how you approached or how you interpreted the situation. And, and you know, something that's in, incredibly important to anyone who comes uh, to ask to, you know, benefit from our services is the earlier they contact us when they're dealing with an issue, the better. The more that we can act to make things right and to maximize your entitlement. So you're better off not waiting till the 11th hour when you figure out, oh shoot, this isn't what I thought it was. Call us as early as possible. It's not going to cost you like really any significant amount of money, if at all, and just get that confirmation that you need. Moving on, if you're an employee, you should never accept significant changes to the terms of your employment. Again, this is one that has uh, come to the surface more over the last year, at least six months when people are going back to work, and the employers have just kind of changed things around. They've moved the goalposts for people's jobs because of COVID-19, maybe themselves not even knowing that they can't do that, right? Yeah, absolutely, right? So we've seen situations where employers are either, you know, genuinely undergoing um, – you know, some difficulty in terms of, you know, their financial situation or, you know, the demand for their business. And they've wanted to roll out, you know, temporary 20% pay cuts or 15% pay cuts, or, you know, instead of coming in five days a week, we like you to work four days a week or, you know, whatever the case might be. This is, we've seen this tons and tons and tons of times over the pandemic. Um, you know, and if you accept changes to the terms of your employment, if you accept these changes, you're giving the employer the opportunity to argue, well, number one, these are your new terms of your employment going forward. So I don't care that you used to make $15,000 a year more. You agreed to make 15000 less, and that's what you make now. And two, it actually opens the door for the employer to say, well, you let us make changes this one time, so we can now make changes in the future. We can change something else again. Um, so you have to be very, very careful about accepting changes. And if you ever were to accept any changes, you want to definitely make sure that you've papered, you know, in an email, in a letter, whatever, that you only agree on a temporary basis and expect it to revert and put a deadline if possible. You can always agree to an extension at that point, but you might as well just put a deadline in at least for now. We'll take a short break to contact Andrew and his team confidentially. Email help at employmentlawyer.ca. Call 1-855-821-5900. Tens of thousands of people have been held by Andrew's uh, firm and the ones he belongs to. Sam Firu, Tamarkin, LLP. We'll take a short break. Keep going. Employment Law Show right here, Global News Radio. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. And right back at it, Andrew Goldberg, Senior Associate, uh, Sam Firu, Tamarkin LLP, doing all the heavy lifting. John Scholes here as well. Yeah, there you go. Let's get right back at it. And uh, what we are dealing with today, if you're an employee, you should never. This was probably the first thing we mentioned on the show almost 10 years ago and what got it all started because people were going to the wrong place about Severance, Andrew, and that would be call the Ministry of Labor if you lose your job, specifically lose your job. Yes, terrific point. That, that could be rule number one. And it, it's tough because you, as an employee, you associate your rights sometimes with the Ministry of Labor. I mean, they are called the Ministry of Labor, and 
Uh, there's tons of information out there um, disseminated by the ministry outlining, you know, their opportunity to help you in certain ways, right? So uh, people, there, there's nothing wrong with that inclination. It makes a lot of sense. However, um, you know, as you discussed, the, the topic at hand is things that you should never do if you're an employee. And the reason you should never contact the Ministry of Labor is because they can only get uh, a limited severance for you in the event that you're fired. Your entitlements will be very limited if you go to the Ministry of Labor and you say, hey, I've been let go from my job. I didn't receive a severance package or I don't feel I received an adequate severance package. They can only um, obtain for you your minimum entitlements under the legislation. They cannot get you the full extent of your entitlements. And sometimes that's the difference between you know, a year of pay, over a year and a half of pay between your minimum entitlements that the Ministry of Labor can get for you and your full entitlements that, you know, an employment lawyer can get for you. And the real difficulty is that if you go to the Ministry of Labor and pursue those minimum entitlements, you're now precluded, you're, you're barred from actually getting the rest of your entitlements with a lawyer. So it's a very tricky situation and you definitely want to speak to an employment lawyer before you go to the Ministry of Labor. Uh, about anything really now the ministry of labor on the other hand if it's a matter of unpaid wages or overtime or stuff like that that is uh, that's the door you want to knock on right yeah absolutely but at the same time i really don't think it hurts to speak to an employment lawyer right so if if people call me about unpaid wage like the things you just discussed unpaid wages unpaid overtime pay you know things that have already accrued um my advice to them might very well be hey okay on one hand you know, you can retain my services and, and we can go after that. And on the other hand, you know, you do have this avenue where you can go to the Ministry of Labor yourself and pursue that. And if that's the decision that they want to make, then they just go ahead and leave and do that. But sometimes there are, you know, overlapping considerations where you might not think going to the Ministry of Labor might affect your rights in a situation, but it does. So it, it really doesn't hurt at least having a call, having a consultation you're not bound to anything by just speaking to a lawyer. You can just get some advice, get some information, and make the decision you want to make, which very well might be the decision you wanted to make before you made that call, right? You're not, it's always a good idea, in my opinion. What we are discussing is if you're an employee, you should never do this list of things. And this one, uh, most people, they might sit back in the laurels and not realize they have anything to do when it comes to this, but that's except an unfair performance review. Yeah, absolutely. This is a, um, an issue that, you know, we see all the time, you know, pre-pandemic, during the pandemic, but there's a lot of employers now who are trying to get away with letting people go, maybe because uh, they're trying to restructure or they don't want to pay someone a high rate of pay. They think they can get a cheaper new employee in. But, you know, what employers try to do is, is to fire you for just cause or and let you go and say, look, your performance has been very subpar and as a result we're letting you go with no severance and in doing so what an employer typically will do is provide to you first a performance review and outline concerns that they have and oftentimes they don't have any merit at all and they're unfair and in this situation if you know if that happens to you and you're provided with some kind of performance evaluation that you know negatively portrays you as a you know poor performer don't sign off on that don't accept that because by accepting it 
you're obviously agreeing to it. And by agreeing to it, you're allowing an employer to build a case against you to say, hey, well, you know, this person's had performance issues. We've communicated it to them. They've agreed with the issues and it hasn't changed. So we're letting them go and, and not giving them a severance. So if you get a performance review that you don't agree with, do not accept it. And in fact, your best course of action would be to write to the employer and outline the reasons why you don't accept the performance review, hopefully having objective reasons like data in your, in your you know, um, performance results, like how many sales, how many, uh, convert, you know, the, your conversion rate for clients, whatever it is, your production uh, rate, you know, you want to outline why the evaluation was unfair. It's very important. Yeah, it's it's interesting, and you should always have some sort of rebuttal or disagreement. I mean, how is it really, really reliable for an employer to just use a, a performance review and then let you go? Or is there far more stepping stones they have to go through? Because, like you said, you know, in these times, that might be a route most or a lot of employees might try, employers might try to take, right? Yeah, for sure. And this is uh, something we're going to get into the next topic, and that's kind of why I tied the two topics together. But briefly, for now, it, it isn't good enough. Uh, for an employer to just say out of nowhere one day, oh, hey, by the way, I've not been a fan of your performance. Take it easy. Uh, you're out of here. I mean, they could do that. And as long as they give you a fair severance package, okay, that's fine. It doesn't really matter if their assessment of you was correct or incorrect, because if they said you were a good performer and let you go, then they they could do that. They just have to give you a fair severance. But the issue comes into play where you get an unfair uh, performance review and the employer's relying on that to say, oh, we have cause to let you go, no severance. And in order for an employer to ever really have any hope whatsoever at establishing that they did have cause to let you go without a fair severance, they'd, they can't just rely on one singular performance review. There would have to be multiple instances you know, documented and that would only, you know, become more true and more apparent, you know, the longer you're employed. So if you're a 20-year employee and you've, for the first time ever, had a bad performance review and you're let go for cause, like, good luck, employer, yeah. relying on that. You know, if you're a six-month employee, still very, very, very difficult hill to die on if you're an employer, but it's not as strong, obviously, if you've been there longer. We'll get to one more of these uh, for this topic. Uh, anyway, and that is if you're an employee, you should never sign an employment contract without having it properly reviewed. And that's where you guys come in especially. Yeah, for sure. And, and this one's a bit of a tricky one because when you get an employment contract, if we're talking about a new job, let's just say, people are... That's kind of oftentimes the best the relationship ever is, sadly, right? You know, you're excited about this job. Um, it's new to you. You have no prospect in your mind that things could go badly, that you could be mistreated one day, that you could be let go one day, put on a layoff one day. You're not thinking about those things. And, and again, that's a very natural thing to do because you're just concerned all right, well, when I talked to them in the interview, they said I'd make 70 grand. I really just want to make sure that that's in the contract. Like, that's what you're concerned about. You're not too worried about these things that could come to light that haven't yet or seem so far removed. But the reality is the employment contract is the place where employers really start to take away your rights as an employee. They chip away at your rights and they give themselves, you know, greater leeway to make changes, to you know, implement things that are 
restrictive to you, not favorable to you. That's kind of the whole center of an, an employer's rights usually. So although it might not be a concern now, these things do arise in the future and the more concerning points that there are in an employment contract, the more likely at least one of these situations will arise. So again, if you're provided an employment contract, you certainly should have it reviewed because you know you want to be informed of your rights that you might not even know about, know what you're actually getting into before you're signing because if you're looking at a new job, um, there might be implications in there that might actually dissuade you entirely from taking that job. You might have another opportunity on the table and you might have thought, well, maybe this one was better, but not anymore after hearing about the contract. And that applies to everyone, but you know, really um, significantly to people who are starting a new position. Certainly, if you're already employed at a workplace and mid-employment, right. you're offered a contract at that time, that is like the biggest red flag in the world. Like your alarm bells should be ringing. Everything should be going off. Why are you being given a contract mid-employment, mid-stream? Like 99% of the time, that's because an employer wants to, you know, give itself greater rights, uh, you know, as an employer and take away your rights and, you know, impose things in the workplace that it knows it doesn't have the right to do. So it's trying to get your agreement to do so through a written agreement. So definitely if you're mid-employment and you get, you're given a contract, it would be very ill-advised not to have that at least reviewed by an employment lawyer uh, before signing. That, uh, that second one you mentioned, the, uh, the employment contract you, uh, you received, while you're already working there, do they have to, to make it even binding, do they not have to give you something, some sort of consideration for signing it? If you do decide to go after it's been reviewed by you and everything's on the up and up, do they not have to give you something to make it legal, for lack of a better term? Yeah, that, that's an excellent point. So in order for an employment agreement to be enforceable at all, if you're already employed in a workplace and say you're there for three years, at the three-year mark, your employer says, hey, John, I want to uh, have you sign this new contract. We're trying to formalize things in the workplace. That's what you hear all the time. We're trying to formalize things, right? So um, we want you to sign this agreement here. If you don't get anything in return, if after signing the agreement, your pay remains the same, your amount of vacation pay remains the same, your you know pension contributions, whatever it is, your health and dental coverage all remains intact, then that contract technically is unenforceable because you have to receive something in return to give away rights, and that is called consideration. So for a contract to be enforceable, there needs to be consideration flowing between both parties. If you as an employee are giving up some rights, you as an employee should receive something in return. The employer should at least have to give you a pay raise, a bonus, something. And if you don't receive that, then the contract's not enforceable. With all that being said, if you're in a situation where your employer is attempting to get you to sign something and you might be thinking, well, I'm not getting anything in return, so you know, I, I will, so who cares, I'll just sign the thing and right. then I'll argue later it's unenforceable, you know, you're still probably better off speaking to an employment lawyer and, you know, and trying to sort through it at, at that stage, but you're 100% correct. If, if you didn't get anything in return, you, the employer couldn't rely on it anyway. 
Short break. You know, as always, if uh, if you have questions, concerns about your employment rights, this is the show for you. That's why we do it. You've been terminated or uh, laid off, wrongfully dismissed, harassed at work, experienced changes to your job, all that stuff. There's a couple different things you can do. You can reach out to Andrew. When the show is done, one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred, and also visit pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. We'll continue. Employment Law Show, Global News Radio. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Employment Law Show indeed. And with us again, Andrew Goldberg, Senior Associate, Sanfiru Tamark and LLP, uh, doing the show, taking all of your calls. And answering your questions, and we'll get to more of those here in, in just a sec when we get to get some green lights. But in the meantime, dealing with criticism, discipline, and bad performance reviews. Ugh, it sounds like ugliness, but you got to know how to uh, get through those murky waters for sure. So let's get to the uh, the first one on this point as we line up our calls, Andrew. That is, uh, when, when should an employer take measures to deal with a problem employee, and what measures can they take? That's for the employer listeners of the show, right? Right. Uh, so if you're an employer and you want to deal with a problem employee, well, the first measure you should take is, number one, really have an understanding of what the problem is and how kind of problematic, uh, like, you know, the degree of how severe this problem really is. Maybe it's just something that, you know, you have a pet peeve of as an employer or you know, is something personal to you, but you really have to take an objective analysis and say, look, really how problematic is this concern that I have? And after kind of getting to that point and assessing the severity, you know, you want to, you know, measure um, your response and your response needs to be proportionate to the issue at hand. And 99.9% of the time, unless there's something, you know, almost approaching, you know, criminal level of wrongdoing, some, you know, very severe harassment issue or theft, you know, you're not going to be able to just fire someone right away. You're going to have to give them a warning. So if you're an employer, you want to document the warning. Uh, you want to, in writing, provide it to the employee, you know, communicate what it is that they uh, did wrong and, you know, pinpoint examples so they have an understanding and outline your expectations going forward and advise them if you continue to, you know, uh, be guilty of the same issue that you're having in the workplace, this could lead to future discipline, including termination. So, you know, you just want to be very calculated about it. You want to be objective and ensure that you're communicating the issue because often if you want to have the opportunity to get rid of this person later for cause as an employer, you have to establish that you've communicated the issue to the employee. They've had an opportunity to rectify the issue because they've clearly, you know, been told what it is and what they can do to fix it, and they have not fixed it. So communication is going to be paramount, and written warnings are usually the best way to go, at least to start. Let's get to uh, to Kathy. Kathy, thank you so much for standing by. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. How are you? Fantastic. What's on your mind? Uh, question, what is the advice, and this may have been already been asked, of employers mandating vaccines and the rights of an employee? And are you asking from the perspective of an employee who, you know... Of, of an employee, yes, correct. 
Right. So th- the situation will be different depending on what's giving rise to the policy of mandatory vaccination, right? So there are times where the government might impose an obligation on the employer to have you be vaccinated, okay? And there's times where the government's not doing so and an employer's just choosing to do so on its own accord, okay? And if more often than not, if if the government is not imposing the, the mandatory vaccination, you as an employee will have the right to refuse uh, to get the vaccine and by refusing, if you're let go from your job, you're going to be entitled to your severance entitlements and, and sometimes even human rights damages as well. Um, so you do still have rights regardless of what you might be hearing. However, to kind of make a very concrete assessment, we would need to know, you know, other information that could factor in because, you know, an employer could argue based on the work environment, for example, it's a very high risk work environment where transmission uh, poses some very significant impact, maybe due to the vulnerability of of the clientele or, or whatever, um, which might, you know, improve their ability to have this policy in place. But, you know, the vast majority of the time, if the government's not imposing it on an employer and the employer's now telling you, hey, we want you to get uh, vaccinated or you're not going to be working, you still do have rights. You could still pursue your entitlements if you if you lose your job. So as it stands today with the messaging that the government has communicated to the public, it's currently only from what I understand the federal workers that they've mandated it. And then any other sort of jurisdiction is mandating it on their own institutions that service that area. What is your opinion um, on that divisible line as to what the government is mandating well, I mean, like, like you know, a prime example of what you just gave, the government has come out and given, um, you know, kind of clear instructions with respect to, okay, we are going to have federally, federal employees, so employees that work for the federal government, not necessarily all federally regulated employees, because you could work for a telecommunications company or a transportation company and still technically be federally regulated. That wouldn't cover you. It's only people that work for the federal government They've instituted mandatory vaccination policies. And, you know, if you really get in the nitty gritty of these policies, they're not even necessarily saying for sure that you it's a mandatory vaccination. They do talk about the fact that, you know, there are maybe alternatives in mandatory testing. And, and you know, another important factor is, you know, if you're able to maybe even do your job from home and can do your job from home, that might be something an employer should have to consider as well uh, before letting you go for refusing to be vaccinated if that's a viable thing. But really, it's going to be situation specific. So it's very difficult for me over, you know, this call between you and I, unfortunately, to say, okay, well, this, you know, this would apply to you, this would apply to the other person, this would apply to the third person. You know, we would need kind of more concrete information with respect to a specific work environment and your circumstances to give like proper advice, you know, that's just the reality of most um, situations where we give advice, but just generally a a large portion of the population still will have the opportunity to refuse a vaccination and 
if they're let go or put on a layoff or an employer won't let them come back to work, they will have legal recourse. They could pursue their severance and often human rights damages alongside. We got uh, Peter's calling here quickly before we break in a couple minutes. Peter, I'm not sure if that whole answer covered what you were asking, but uh, but go ahead, pal. What's up? A, a lot of it did, and I'm a union president in the West End and Hamilton, Burlington, Toronto. They've mandated vaccinations in the workforce. It's probably going to happen to us early next week, where we're be, we're being told the same thing. So, really, the question I would like answered: Does our employer, or a municipality? have the obligation to offer an alternative, which would be rapid testing. Or can they say straight up alone, you have to be vaccinated, otherwise you will be terminated at a certain point in time. It's that simple. We just want an option. We want to know if that option is out there, if they're obligated to give us that option. Well, I think you said you're a union president? Yes. Well, well, I think, you know, ultimately in your setting, it would go to, to in front of an arbitrator, right? It wouldn't go to... Uh, um you know, the court through the legal system, through the civil litigation system. But, you know, I think those factors such as, you know, would rapid testing be sufficient? And also, you know, it, it can part of your workforce, you know, feasibly work from home. No, There's they can't. A, the majority, we're outdoor workers, the majority right, of them. Right, right. So I think, I mean, I definitely think it's something that should be considered. Everything would need to be weighed uh really taken into consideration to for the for for an arbitrator to kind of determine the appropriateness of a policy when it is you know invasive and you're essentially forcing someone to undergo medical treatment um you know the the effectiveness of rapid testing and also the willingness of the workforce to undergo rapid testing who's going to pay for the rapid testing and you know there are a lot of people that call me too that don't want to undergo weekly rapid nasal swab testing either right so the majority of our people are accepting that they would have to go for rapid testing if they choose not to get the vaccine and even on their own time after work hours we just right. want to know if the employer has to provide that option. And I know what you're saying about going to the arbitration or going through the arbitration process, but I don't want people to get terminated in the meantime before we get to arbitration if they're saying everybody has to have both shots by the end of October. Right. And again, I mean, I think it's something that the employer has to, I'm sorry, that the employer has to consider. Um, but I don't necessarily think it, it's going to be situation specific as to whether they have to give it as an option. That's one question. Should they consider it, I think, is another question. I think the consideration should certainly be there, and there should be a communication to, you know, you as a union president and to your your bargaining union members as to why that that's not viable and to provide some information as to the extent that they've looked into that and their, you know, their conclusions as to why that that's not viable. But I don't think necessarily you could say, okay, for sure they have to provide this as an alternative. That being said, with the federal legislation that just was rolled out regarding uh, vaccinations with uh, federal workers, there is language in there, in fact, about having an alternative as testing. So that might be something to point to and something to consider. So I hope that helps. Peter, appreciate the call. Got to rock. Got to let you go. We'll continue here in, uh, after a short break. And you want to reach out to Andrew Goldberg, Senior Associate, Sam Firu to Markin LLP. You know how to do that anytime. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. And there's also 1-855-821-5900. We'll continue. Employment Law Show. This is Global News Radio. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. 
The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. And we'll continue on here. Yeah, for sure. You want to reach out when the show is done, you can do so to Andrew Goldberg and his team. 1-855-821-5900. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. And the website, that's free, easy, anonymous, and built all around the concepts and uh, questions about employment law. But uh, always, the calls, top priority. Michael, thanks for hanging on. How are you? I'm good. And yourself? Couldn't, uh, can't complain, man. What's uh, What's on your mind today? Uh, recently, my wife was uh, my wife is an, uh, an employee of a gentleman uh, for 28 years. She's a manager and runs two companies for him. Uh, in May, he offered her what he called a retention contract, uh, which she uh, was basically written one-sided, and she decided not to sign it. I'll make it short. With 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 the but it included a termination date. The this, after she decided not to sign it, uh, he offered her, he replied with an email that said it was, since you decided to not take the retention pack or the severance package, I'm giving you two years working notice, which he's entitled to do and no one's arguing with. But in that letter, that second email that she received, uh, it says that she's not allowed to uh, basically go out and uh, offer her services in the industry. Uh, or, or she might be sued. If she's in a non-contractual situation, is she allowed to tell people that she's been given working notice, and can she use her 28 years of experience to her benefit at a second employer? Well, those are gr- those are great questions. Oh, it's a, it's an interesting situation. Um, I think okay. So what it'll come down to is is I think really pretty simple, but. You know, you'd have to get in the weeds a bit at some point. Uh, It seems to me that if you're an employee and you've never signed a contract, then you've never signed a non-solicit agreement saying you're not going to go after the company's customers. You've never signed a non-compete contract saying you're not going to work for a competitor. Those terms don't exist, okay? So an employer is very hard-pressed to say, oh, you can't go out there and, and work for anyone else or use, you know, use your experience uh, to do so. That being said, because your wife held a managerial position, if she did have access to, you know, lots of company information and um, financial information, what have you, then, you know, at law, she could be considered what's called a fiduciary of the company, which means that irrespective of the fact that there's, there's no contract saying that, you know, you can't do A, B, or C, by virtue of being a senior employee and having access to confidential high-level information, there will be some obligations on her. All that being said, you know, it's going to be very difficult for an employer to prevent her from going to go work for somewhere else. Okay, but if she now goes and works somewhere else and she uses that information she learned with the employer because she holds a senior role to benefit that other competitor company or to maybe take business away from his, the existing company to the new one, that still could theoretically be a problem. Um, but it just depends on the specifics. But but at the heart of it, the overwhelming odds are no, she didn't sign anything. It's going to be very difficult for the employer to prevent her from going out there and getting another job. And would she be able to disclose to a potential uh, employer uh, that she has been given working notice? 
Because that actually, that situation actually came up last week. Sure. I mean, I don't see anything wrong with that. I, I, I don't. I don't know how much benefit that 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 might necessarily add. I mean, if you can get around it. Then, then that's great, but I don't really see any problem with her telling her no. I mean, my employer's put me on working notice till X date. I mean, she doesn't have to work out the working notice. She can resign at some point if she wants to. Oh, um, I agree. Agreed. Right. So I don't really see anything on the surface, um, you know, unlawful about her telling people, well, I was let go. I'm on working notice. I'm looking for a new job. I can't see the problem with that from where I'm sitting. All right. And would she be able to disclose to a coworker that she had she's received working notice? That would be my last question. Again, I mean, I I'd be hard pressed to find a problem with it, but I I, I don't. If it can be avoided, then that's always best. I mean, you got to keep in mind there's two issues. Issue one. Does the employer actually have a claim against you when you go work for another company or competitor or solicit business that used to, you know, be in that company's business? That's question number one. Question number two is, is the employer, regardless of the strength of their case, still going to go after her because it's principled or just that's the kind of person that he or she is, right? Because those people exist. And the more you kind of ruffle the feathers sometimes, the more, you know, they might get their heels dug in and try to actually act on a thing, even though it might be a very stupid and, you know, thing to do that has no merit at all, right? So it's just, those are just more practical things to keep in mind from a legal perspective. If she wants to tell a coworker, yeah, I've been given working notice, I'll be out of here, then if if she continues to do her job and do her job well and you know not give any reason to be fired for cause or disciplined or whatever i just don't see any problem with it at all and that'll do it for another show good stuff andrew goldberg is your guy 1855821500 that is how you reach out to get the compensation you deserve by the firm that has helped thousands of people across this country sam firu to mark an llp again one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. We'll catch you next time. Employment Law Show. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio six forty Toronto.